Bill is on vacation. Bill has gone fishing. He's in Canada. Uh, so he's gone for the next two weeks. He got invited by a member of the church to go fishing with him. Something he hasn't done in a long, long time. And uh, so uh, I'm, I've got the next two Sundays. And Bill said, whatever you want to talk on, Chris, whatever you want to teach on. And uh, I have been fascinated by the story of Samson um, for about a year now. I've been fascinated by it for a long time. Um, but last summer, uh, was introduced to uh, the story again, kind of from a, a new... It's not my heartbeat. I'm not nervous. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. Um, introduced to uh, the story of Samson again last summer and uh, have been basically on and off for a year uh, studying the story of Samson. And what I want to do on these next few Sundays, and I've wrestled with this for weeks, how to teach this, um, I thought, well, let's just go through the whole story today. And uh, it's just four chapters in the book of Judges, Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. And uh, we'll cover the whole story, and, and we'll go through, and then next week I'll talk an application. I can't do it. Um, so today we're going to cover two chapters, and uh, uh, I'm going to unpack it, uh, perhaps like you've never never heard the story before, never unpacked it, maybe some things in there that you've never seen. Um, yesterday, you, you get a picture here, um, I, I was part of a trip, we went down to Six Flags, took um, 19 high school students down, eight volunteers, spent the day at Six Flags, we left here at 6 in the morning, got back at 1 o'clock last night, alright, so I'm, I've got to stay fired up, otherwise I'm going to fall asleep, um, I'm working on about four hours sleep right now, and uh, the guys, the people in my van can attest, um, I had a volunteer drive, so I had the laptop on my lap while we were driving to St. Louis, figuring out how in the world I'm going to teach this this morning, um, finished it this morning, and so we're ready to go, alright, so we're going to talk about the story of Samson. Um, here's what you need to know. I've got 58 slides in about 35 minutes. So we're going to fly through some of this stuff. In your bulletin, there's a place for notes there. Um, you've got some boxes here. Kind of looks like a comic book because Samson is kind of a superhero of the Old Testament. He's that Herculean figure that, that's really strong and does amazing things. And, uh, you know, he's always portrayed in Sunday school as uh, doing the great things for God. I'm going to challenge that these next few Sundays. All right, I'm going to challenge that perspective. This is not the Sunday school version um, of the story of Samson. Um, sex, alcohol, um, partying, murder, um, all that stuff. We're going to cover these next two weeks. Now I've got to figure out next service because all the kids are in here. Um, how am I going to talk on that? I'll figure that out next hour. I want you to take notes, all right, these next two Sundays. I want you to have the Bible open in front of you. I want you to take notes because I am just going to do a Bible study on two chapters in the Old Testament today. And we're going to unpack this. So let's, let's do this thing. Um, context of Judges. Whenever you study the scriptures, you've got to know a few things. You've got to understand the historical and geogra- geographical context. You've got to identify some of the major themes. You've got to understand the meaning of names. Um, you know, if you can get into the original languages, which are free resources out there, I can give those to you um, that you can use, ones that I use that are free. Um, related texts or connected texts. Well, you know, what other scriptures relate to what we're talking about? And then the story of Samson and, and many scripture stories, for me, there's a lot of tension in the scriptures. There's a lot of nagging questions, a lot of things that I don't understand. And so I'm going to introduce some of those to you today as well. Uh, but let's talk about the context of the book of Judges and historical context. It's after Moses and Joshua. So Moses has gone to Pharaoh, let my people go, led them out in the wilderness. Um, that entire generation died in the wilderness. Moses hands over the ruling to Joshua, says, go into the promised land. Joshua goes in the promised land. This is after Moses and Joshua. Joshua, the nation's in the promised land, but there's all the people still there. And they're supposed to route these people and take over the land. Um, but it's before King Saul and King David. All right, so this is where Judges comes in. Uh, if you want a summary verse from the book of Judges, 
Judges 2.16 says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of raiders. There's kind of a theme that every judge in the book of Judges um, goes through. And it's this, Israelites do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to put um, our tech people to the test today. Um, we're, We're on the next slide. Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God hands them over to another nation for a set number of years. Um, Israelites cry out to God. God raises up a judge or a leader, and the land is, has peace for X number of years. Othniel is the first judge, and here's his story. And, and kind of listen to his story and follow that pattern. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so they sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharim to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord, pay attention to that, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died and then unfortunately the pattern repeats itself the israelites do evil god punishes them so raises up a judge there are 12 judges in all in the book of judges samson the one that we're going to talk about is the very last judge now that could have meaning he could be you know just the end of an era or could be one of the worst judges in the history of the judges and god's like you know i'm done with that style of leadership we're going to move on that's a question we got to answer so Judges 13.1, birth of Samson. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, here's an interesting observation. If you read Judges 13, uh, you will never see the nation of Israel cry out to God. They, they are under Philistine rule for 40 years, and they evidently don't care. They've accepted it. After all of this history, they've accepted it. But God still raises up Samson, still cares for the Israelites, and so wants to raise up a judge. So I I think that's interesting. The people don't cry out. We'll see that come back to us later. Judges 13.2, a man named Manoah had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. Uh, And God says through an angel to Manoah and his wife, uh, some specific instructions for your son. Very important. You're going to have a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. I could never be a Nazarite. Just saying. I am not Samson prototype, okay? I just can't. Maybe later, Samson, if you know the story, but not right now, all right? Samson's got flowing locks of hair. From the moment he was born, his hair was never cut because he was set apart to be a Nazarite for God. Now, we've got some questions here that we have to ask. What is a Nazarite vow? What does that mean? Uh, well, if you go to number six, don't turn there, just write it down. Number six, a Nazarite vow is a vow that somebody takes for a period of time uh, to, do, to set themselves apart for God. And, and there's three specific things that this person is not allowed to do when they're under a Nazarite vow. Uh, number one, don't drink wine or eat grapes or raisins or any fruit of the vine. Don't go anywhere near uh, grapes, vineyards, anything like that. All right? Uh, number two, don't touch anything dead because you'll make yourself ceremonially unclean. And number three, don't ever, ever, ever cut your hair. If you know the story of Samson, you know where this is going. Now, that's the first question. What is a Nazarite vow? Second question I've got on this birthing. Do we know any other women in the scriptures who were barren, who were childless, who were older in generation, in age, and were given a son who was to be set apart for God? Anybody? Who? Sarah? All right. Who else? 
Hannah, who else? Mary wasn't well long in years. Elizabeth. Uh, Two in particular that are interesting. Hannah, who is given a son and she names him Samuel, uh, becomes a prophet who anoints King Saul and King David. And then Elizabeth, who gives birth to a son and names him John, and he becomes John the Baptist, and he's the prophet who prepares people for the arrival of Jesus. So obviously, right away, we know there's something that God has planned for Samson. Something big, something important, because he's in the category of of Samuel, who's a prophet, and John the Baptist, who's a prophet. So God has high expectations for Samson. Now, the other thing I want to know is why Samson? Why did the, why did the angel say name your son? Why did they name him Samson? Uh, the name Samson in Hebrew means Shimshon is the word Shimshon, which means of the light. Write that down. That'll be very important next Sunday. All right. Samson means of the light. And then we see in Judges thirteen twenty four and 25, he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. I like words. Stir him. That's an interesting word, interesting phrase. What does that mean? In Hebrew, the word stir is pa'am, which means to compel or to thrust or to disturb. So we get the idea that Samson, as he grows and becomes a young man, God begins to, through the Holy Spirit, to compel him to do something, to thrust him towards his destiny, to disturb him a little bit. You know, we know that, that God raises up judges who overthrow the rule of, the, of whatever nation is ruling Israel. And so now we have the Philistines. And so, so we get the idea that, that the Holy Spirit is saying to Samson, get mad about this. Rise up and be the leader that I need you to be. And the Holy Spirit begins to stir him and he begins to move. The problem is he moves in the wrong direction. Judges 14. That's the first chapter. We're done. First chapter, Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. I want to know where's Timnah. Why is that important? That's a good question to ask when you read something. Why is that important? Why, do I, why should I know where Timnah is? What can we learn about Timnah? Well, here's a little map for you. Samson lived there between the cities of Zorah and Eshtol, and Timnah is a town about six miles away. And if you notice over here on this kind of topographical map, we've got some hill country here. Uh, we've got the Mediterranean Sea over here, and then uh, you've got this plain, coastal plain area. All right, the coastal plain, these cities of Timnah and Ekron and Gath and Asha and Ashkelon and Gaza, and this is where the Philistines have their predominant cities. So this is where the Philistines are ruling from. The hill country is where the Israelites are. Uh, This is where they live. Now, this coastal plain was supposed to be owned and kind of operated, if you will, um, by the tribe of Judah. Uh, But they didn't rise up. They haven't taken over that land. And so Judah is off in the hill country with the rest of Israel. And so one day Samson goes down from his hometown and he comes to Timnah. It's the first city that an Israelite traveler would encounter as he comes out of the hill country. Uh, Now, I also want to know, what does Tim to mean? Because names are important. Meaning of words are important. Uh, in English, it's Timna. In Hebrew, it's Timna. Um, but the meaning is interesting. The word Timna means to restrain or forbid. It's a barrier city between the nation of Israel and the nation of Philistine, and its name means to forbid. Meaning possibly for Samson, Timnah 
was forbidden. Should not go there. Interesting question. But he goes to Timnah. And he sees there a young Philistine woman. When he returned back home, he says to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Uh, here's some interesting, interesting observations from that short passage. Uh, I have seen. I have seen. Uh, throughout the story of Samson, there's a few major themes, and one of those is eyes, his eyes in particular, and what he looks at. Uh, and so we have here this idea of, of he sees a woman. Uh, throughout Samson's life, he lives his life based on what he sees as right or wrong, not on what God sees as right or wrong. You need to write that down because this comes into play next week as well uh, as we finish out this story. One more slide, if you would. Major theme. Write it down. His eyes. Another interesting component out of this encounter with this Philistine woman and his parents, there's another major theme that comes out, and that's respect for authority. Samson has no respect for his parents' authority over him. He goes back home and he tells his parents, I want this woman, go get her for me. Unheard of in that culture. In that culture, a young man or young woman uh, arranged marriages. Parents made the agreement. They worked it out. And they would have been the ones that said, Hey, Samson, you, we're, we've arranged. You're going to marry this woman. The sons don't come home and tell their parents what to do. Uh, but he does. He comes home and he says, You know what? I want her. We see this time and time again in Samson's life. He has a total disregard for the authority of people over him and of God over him. Judges 14.3 says his father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? And that phrase, uncircumcised Philistines, is a derogatory term towards those people. Why was this a struggle for Samson's parents? Why did they, why did they challenge him on this? Anybody? Close. Was the nation of Israel supposed to marry outside of the nation of Israel? No. They were expressly prohibited from that. Uh, we see in Deuteronomy 7, uh, God says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering, do not intermarry with them, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. God is explicit about that. You do not marry somebody from another culture. Uh, because in that day and age, because they were going to draw you away from me. God says, you as a nation of Israel, you're set apart. Be set apart. As Samson was in Nazareth, be set apart. So not only was Timnah forbidden, but so was marrying a Philistine one. And so already we see Samson's life kind of snowballing in the wrong direction. But Samson says to his father, Get her for me. There's a great phrase. Go get her. It's like caveman. Grab her by the hair and drag her home or something. I don't know. That's the lack of sleep talking right there. Sorry. Um, it's not in the notes. Uh, Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. That phrase, she's the right one for me in Judges 14.3, uh, it's the same as the Hebrew expression that says, did what was right in his own eyes. I saw her, mom and dad. In my eyes, she's right. Regardless of what you says, what you say, regardless of what the word says, in my eyes, she's right. 
So again, we see that uh, lack of authority, respect for authority, and the eyes come out. Now, here's an interesting verse. And if your Bible's like my Bible, uh, Judges 14.4, it's in parentheses. It says this, His parents did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. That's an interesting question. What does that mean? Does that mean that God was orchestrating this whole situation and directing Samson towards a city that was forbidden and towards a woman that he was forbidden to marry according to God's own word? Or is it possible that God is simply allowing Samson to have free will and he's going to use his decisions on behalf of God? I can't answer that question for you. That's a tension that exists here in this story. Um, And I don't know what to do with that verse. I'm just being honest with you. But so far, Samson has gone down to a forbidden city, seen a forbidden woman. Here's what's interesting. He hasn't talked to her yet. I don't know about you guys, but typically when I'm going to marry somebody, like, you know, I married my wife, I spent a long time talking to her, getting to know who she was. I didn't just go by sight. But Samson goes back down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And for the first time, he's going to talk to his wife. Kind of interesting. But here's what happens. As they approach the vineyards of Timnah, Judges 14.5, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with it? Vineyard. Samson has a Nazarite vow. He's not supposed to drink wine. He's not supposed to eat grape. He's not supposed to eat raisins. He's not supposed to go anywhere near a vineyard. And yet as he goes towards Timnah, who is what city is known for their vineyards, first of all, he's not even supposed to go there. He says, hey, here's some vineyards. Let's go over here and explore uh, what's going on over here. Major theme for Samson's life. Temptation. Time after time after time. Samson puts himself into places of temptation that cost him dearly. Judges 14, 5, and 6. As they approach the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion, and the Hebrew there is what's, it's a lion's whelp. It's an interesting word. It's, young lion makes more sense to us, but that's the actual phrase, the lion's whelp, uh, came roaring toward him. So he's going towards the vineyard, and this lion comes rushing out of the brush and attacks him. And then we see this, this experience where the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Question, do we know of anybody else in scriptures who killed a lion with his bare hands? Anyone? Say it louder. You're right. It's good. Even if you're wrong, it's okay. I, you know, take a guess. That's fine. David, exactly. Uh, David, we hear this story. Uh, his brothers are on the battle line with Saul, King Saul, Goliath, and the what army? Philistine army? Hmm, that's interesting. Samson opposing Philistines. David opposing Philistines. Samson, a lion comes out and rushes at him. David, huh, a lion rushed out at him when he was a shepherd. And so David goes, sees what's going on. Goliath has come out, taunts the nation of Israel. Uh, Saul just kind of cowering back there, even though he's king. He's supposed to be the leader of the people. And he's like, oh, we're afraid, we're afraid. And David comes along. He says, you know what? When I was a shepherd, I'm a little boy. He said a lion or a bear would come out and take one of my sheep. I'd go and I'd knock that lion upside the head. And I'd rip the sheep out of its mouth. If the lion came back on me, i tore it to pieces. And so we see this, that this idea of a lion rushing out, lions in scripture, um, I don't know where I'm at. Where am I? Lions are, are symbols of authority. Lions are symbols of power. 
David is saying, I took care of the lion. God delivered me from that lion. I think God can deliver me from Goliath, from this Philistine that's taunting our God. I think I can do it. Perhaps in this situation, as Samson is near the vineyard, someplace he's not supposed to be, and the lion comes out, perhaps this is God confirming Samson's calling to be Israel's judge. But I still have some nagging questions about this. Is there more to this encounter with the lion than face value? See, here's something interesting I discovered. Genesis 39, Jacob, uh, patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel, is blessing his 12 sons. And he says to his son Judah, he calls his son Judah and his descendants a lion's whelp. Interesting. And says, you are to rule over Israel. You are to be the leader. You are to be the dominant power and authority. You are to take charge and lead our people and defend our God. Perhaps, perhaps in this experience, God is sending a subtle message to the tribe of Judah. Because where is the tribe of Judah right now? Not where they're supposed to be. Philistines own Judah's land. And the Judah, tribe of Judah is hiding up in the hill country. And we're going to see an interesting thing happen next week. And I'll go ahead and let tell you what it is, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. The tribe of Judah actually captures Samson and hands him over to the Philistines. The people who were supposed to be the leaders capture their own leader and hand him over to the enemy and says, hey, we're fine with Philistine rule. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps this lion coming out is a little bit of a slap in the face to the tribe of Judah. See, here's another thing that we see lions in Scripture. Lions are also signs of divine judgment. God uses lions to take out a few people in Scripture. Perhaps, again, I don't know, perhaps God is warning Samson, you're going too close to what's forbidden. You shouldn't be here. And so God sends a lion to get him back on the right path. Now, the question you've got to ask there is, if that's the case, why does the Holy Spirit come upon him in power and he's allowed to rip it apart? I don't know. This is honestly, this whole lion encounter is the one thing that just really bugs me about this whole story of Samson. I don't know what to do with it because I don't know what the full meaning is of this experience with the lion. But we have the scriptures. It says that it rushed on him in power. He kills the lion. And then an interesting thing, Judges fourteen six and 7. But he told neither his father or mother what he had done. Again, lack of respect. Evidently, his parents were off somewhere else when this experience happened. Uh, I don't know how you explain blood all over your tunic. I don't know. One couple of people got that. Thanks, Carl. Um, you know, seriously, if you're going to rip a lion apart with the, by its jaws, don't you think it's going to be a little bit of a bloody process? Like, do you wash clothes or something? I don't, sorry, lack of sleep. Um, he goes down, he talks with a woman, and he liked her. Uh, eight and nine. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. Again, temptation. He's like, hey, I remember that lion. I'm going to go see that carcass. And he says, in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped into his hands, and he ate as he went along. Samson, again, puts himself into a place of temptation, and as a result, breaks part of his Nazarite vow. What part was that? Don't touch anything dead. You'll make yourself unclean. 
And the Nazarite vow, number six, if somebody does that, they have to shave off their hair, uh, make um, repentance with God, and then start over their Nazarite vow. But Samson goes off, touches what's dead, violates his Nazarite vow. I call that strike one. Now his father went down to see the woman, Judges 14.10. And Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. It goes on and it says that this was a seven-day festival. Now again, words have meaning. And this word feast, what does this mean? In Hebrew, it's the word mishta. The meaning is a drinking bout. It's not just a party. It's not just a festival. The Hebrew word is specifically, this is seven days of drinking alcohol. This wedding feast. Strike two. Nazarite vow. Do not consume wine. Do not consume anything from the fermented drink. Touches a lion's carcass, strike one. Strike two, spend seven days drinking wine. Now, there's this whole interesting experience that happens at the wedding. Uh, when Samson shows up, evidently Samson didn't have any friends. Because when he shows up, you know, typically the groom will show up and he's got his friends that come with him and they're there with him, you know, groomsmen, bridesmaids, thing, that type of stuff. He doesn't have any friends. And so he's actually given 30 Philistine men to be his groomsmen. So now he is partying and drinking and living with the enemy. The people he's supposed to be turning, turning over. And Samson, he says, you know what? Let me tell you a riddle. And he says, if, if you can give me the answer to this riddle by the end of the seven days, then I'll tell you what, I will give you 30 sets of linen clothes and, and tunics. I mean, just really good clothing. But if you can't answer this question, uh, then this riddle, then you have to give me uh, 30 sets of clothes. So again, tempting the Philistines. And the story goes on. Scriptures tell us that, that for three days, the Philistines couldn't answer his riddle. They, they didn't. You can see the riddle in there. Um, I'm not going to unpack that for you, but um, they, they couldn't answer it. And so they come to Samson's wife, and they say, you know, listen, tell your, get your husband to tell you the secret, the answer to this riddle, and come back and tell us. So she goes, and basically for seven days, her entire wedding feast, she sobs at Samson's feet, and cries and cries and cries, and says, you don't love me. Why in the world would you give my people a riddle that you haven't even told me the answer? And Samson says, I haven't even told my parents the answer to this, this riddle. Why should I tell you? But she goes on and on and on and on. And we're going to see this story play out again next Sunday with a different woman. And finally he relents and he gives her the answer. And she turns around and she tells the Philistine men. And they come back and they give him the answer. Well, this just kind of gets Samson riled up. And so I don't understand this passage either. All right, uh, Judges fourteen nineteen says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So again, the Holy Spirit is doing something in Samson's life. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Now, here's a map for you. Timnah, where the wedding feast is going on. Okay, He has to travel 25 miles to another city, to Ashkelon, a port city for the nation of Philistine. He passes by three major cities, Ekron, Gath, Ashdod, to get down to Ashkelon. I, I don't really know why, but it's curious. Why didn't he just stop at the nearest city and, and, and evidently kill these 30 men? And another nagging question, why does it seem like God gives him the power to kill these 30 men? And that doesn't, I don't know. I don't understand God in this story a lot. I don't understand how this all works together. But there's some nagging questions and tensions that I have uh, with this whole experience in the story of Samson. But he goes down. 
he strikes down 30 men, strips them of their clothing, brings them back, gives them to the 30 men, and then he doesn't even stay with his wife, his new wife. Uh, scripture tells us in Judges fourteen nineteen, 19, uh, it says, burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. He went back up into the hill country. And he, Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. And so Samson storms off in an anger. He's upset. He's mad. He, he's upset that he's been duped, that he had to do this. And so he leaves his new wife, bride behind, goes away. Well, evidently enough time passes that her dad thinks he's not coming back. And so she ta- he takes his daughter, gives it to his best man, gives her to his best man. Uh, somewhat appropriate thing in that culture of that day. And we're going to see why this comes into story next week. But here's another major theme for Samson. Self-righteous anger. Time after time after time, Samson gets upset and mad and angry because he was dishonored, because he was duped, not because God was dishonored. It's an interesting part of Samson's life. And we're going to continue this story next week. I'll unpack the next two chapters, and then we'll wrap it all up and talk about how this applies to our life next Sunday. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.